0: Good morning, church. Hey, congratulations for making it to church on time. You did it. You, uh, you set your alarm and you're here. So, well done. Um, thanks for coming. Um, hey, it's, it's been a great um, time worshiping with you guys already. Usually, I'm kind of up here on the stage, but to, to be out with you, uh, to be singing with you, to hear your voices. We're doing the Colossians 3.16 that we talked about um, in the call to worship, that we're encouraging one another. We're teaching and we're admonishing one another with our songs and, and, and hymns and spiritual songs. So thank you for doing that. It's, it's been a blessing already. And continue to do that. Sing louder. Uh, I was thankful when we came to church here, um, uh, when we took the job here at Cherrydale almost three years ago. Coming in, um, we were, me and Julie were so encouraged by how well this church sang. So um keep doing it, keep it up. You guys are you're doing a great job. Continue to encourage one another. Um, if, if you have no idea who I am, my name is Walker Capps. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Christ Fellowship Cherrydale. Like I said, I usually um, lead worship over here. i thankful to have the opportunity to, to preach this morning. And if it's your first time here, we're continuing our series, The Rise and Fall of Kings, looking at the lives of Saul, David, and Solomon. And we're going to be landing, um, going through the, the last chapter of, or sorry, the last verses of chapter 11, and then all of chapter 12, which uh, a lot of what Tom just read for us. Thanks for reading that, Tom. Um, so just a, just a small recap. Uh, we're the this this, cha- this chapter, these chapters of First Samuel. We're looking at the, the transition of leadership. The first leader we see in the story is Eli. He is he is uh, judging the people. He is he is guiding them. And we also remember he has the wicked sons. And as his life comes to a kind of tragic end, as, as the people come to him and say his sons have been killed in battle, and he has a tragic ending at the gate, he falls over dead. But there is also a leader that transitions into his place, which is Samuel, who we've been spending a lot of time looking at. Samuel has been in the temple pretty much since that he was born. He was the miraculous baby born to his uh, mother, uh, Hannah, who prayed for him. Uh, he he's. Growing up in the temple, his mom is bringing him new clothes year after year because he's serving in the temple with Eli. Samuel was now judging Israel, and now today we're transitioning into the life of Saul. Samuel was kind of passing the baton to Saul, um, this king that the people wanted. And it's kind of interesting because Saul is, is reluctant at first. He's not gung-ho about taking the leadership. Last week we saw he was hiding in the baggage when they were trying to appoint him as king. So it's kind of a, a rough start for Saul. Um, and we even find wicked men from last week are wondering if this, if this reluctant tall king can actually even save them from the nations around him. You know? If he's reluctant about taking the kingship, how can he even defeat people in battle? But he actually, the Lord stirs up his zeal, and the Lord uh, leads them into battle, and Saul actually brings victory. And then we're going to see, um, as, as we transition into this next part, um, that he, he actually, in a way, unites the people. First, there was the wicked people who didn't want him to be king, but now they seem to be united. So, we're going to pick up the story. I'm going to read um, chapter 11, verse 12 through 15. My, kind of tie up, my, my plan is to kind of tie up uh, chapter 11 and then we'll jump into chapter 12 with, kind of new, with a kind of new way of thinking of it. So, This is uh, chapter 11, verse uh, 12. The people said to Samuel, Who said that Saul should not reign over us? Give us those men so that we can kill them. But Saul ordered no one to be executed this day, for today the Lord has provided deliverance in Israel. And Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, so we can renew the kingship there. So all the people, they're united. They went to Gilgal, Gilgal, and there, in the Lord's presence, they made Saul king. They sacrificed fellowship offerings, and in the Lord's presence, in the Lord's presence, and Saul and all the men of Israel greatly rejoiced. There he is. He's the king. He's. He's united the people. They're they're one people again. They were divided. But now, so maybe he's he's doing a a good job. And we see that the people are greatly rejoicing. But in my estimation, this rejoicing is kind of a, um, it's not a rejoicing out what the the Lord has done. It's kind of like a, a pat yourself on the back kind of rejoicing. Look at this king that is over us. We had a good idea. We want a king like the other nations. And look, he looks like a king. He's acting like a king now. He's delivering us from our enemies. Good job, us. Good job, king. Well done. The people are, are excited. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of myself at our house. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not much of a fix-it guy. So if there's a repair that needs to happen on the car or the house, I'm usually gonna call someone or, or take it into the shop. But every once in a while, i look it up on Google and see if I can do the fix myself. And so I'll go out to the garage or go out to the car or whatever it is, and I actually make it happen. I fixed it, I save us money. I come into the house and say, Julie, check it out. I fixed the, I fixed the thing. By the way, I have uh, duct tape in my hands, <laughs> fingers crossed, hoping that this fix will last, you know? But like the duct tape repair, we'll see today in today's story that rejoicing over the king, the newly appointed king, is short-lived. It's not going to last for long. So we're going to jump in now to chapter 12. And your Bibles, is probably the heading of Samuel's farewell address, Samuel's final speech. Something to do with Samuel, the final talking point of Samuel. He's been their faithful leader since the day he was young, but now he's passing the baton off to Saul. There's uh, At Southeastern Seminary, the the president says that last words are lasting words. That's kind of his catchphrase. He's talking about Jesus and the Great Commission. But a lot of times, last words, the, the last thing you have to say at the end of your life, let's say on the deathbed, the last thing you say to your family is the most important things inside of you. You want to get it out before there's no breath left. Same thing with a parting farewell. If you're moving states or you're moving jobs or whatever, you want to tell the people that are around you the thing that is most important to you before you hit the door, right? So we're seeing this as 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 Samuel is about to to leave the people, about to pass the baton of leadership. He's telling them the things that are the most important things to him. He wants to get it off his chest before he he passes the baton of leadership. So today for us, even though this is geared toward the people of Israel in this in this uh, this reign, this newly Appointed reign of king. It also gives us words of encouragement and words to grow from. So we're going to go, we're going to look at see what Samuel have Samuel has to say. We're also going to take application throughout the throughout the chapters, throughout the chapter, and see what God can say to us. So, um, if you've been paying attention to the news at all recently, I'm sure you're aware of the Murdaugh trial. This courtroom. uh, people are are following it on Instagram. They're following it on Twitter. I'm sure you have. If, if if you're like me and you don't keep up with the news, even I knew about this. So it's a big deal. Okay. So it, I, that's kind of informed the way I've been thinking about this chapter. Kind of like farewell thoughts. Samuel in a way like what we, we just read that Tom read. He's he's bringing accusations against against the people. So I want to frame this speech and this fam- farewell address in like a courtroom setting. So. Um, in a courtroom, a good lawyer presents his evidence in a systematic way in order co- to convince the jury of a de- the desired sentence, right? The desired sentence, guilty or not guilty. In that same way, we're kind of seeing Samuel do, do this. Samuel, not out of spite, not out of anger, but out of love and concern for the people, wants to show them their sin before a holy God. They have wanted to raise this king up, but all the while, the king, the, the, the king of all kings was their king all along. So in love, and in order to protect them from falling into more sin, Samuel calls them together into the courtroom, into the courtroom, it's not our actual courtroom, and submit, systematically reveals to them their sin. And he's going to do it in, in, in what I'm going to call four different kind of movements or four layers. So first, he's going to reveal to them um, a blameless leader himself. Same with a blameless leader. Next, he's going to reveal to them a blameless God. Let's look back and see what God has done. Next, they're going to see that they're a blasphemous people. And last, they're going to see a blameless Savior that is, uh, that is taught about. So, as we uh, continue in our first piece of evidence, Samuel's first piece of evidence he brings before the people in the courtroom is this fact that he is a blameless, he has a blameless character. So we're going to pick up the story here in uh, chapter 12, verse 1 through 5. Let me read this for us, and then we'll make some comments on it. This is Samuel in the courtroom. Then Samuel said to all of Israel, I have carefully listened to everything you said to me and placed the king over you. Now you can see that the king is leading you. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have led you from my youth until now. Here I am. Bring... Bring charges against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox or donkey have I taken? Who have I wronged or mistreated? Who gave me bribes to overlook something? I will return it to you. You haven't wronged us. You, have, you haven't mistreated us. And you haven't taken anything from us, they responded. He said to them, The Lord is witness against you. And his anointed is witness today. That you have found... you haven't found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Samuel wants the people to see him as the blameless leader. One reason is he's about to deliver some really hard news to them. Some hard news to take. And it's easier to receive bad news or hard news from someone that you look up to and respect rather than the other way around. If Samuel had mistreated them and he comes to bring them hard news, they're not going to need to respect him. He wants to hold up his character first, so that he can, in a, in a minute, tell them some hard news. It's also interesting, as we reflect on the character of Samuel, we flip back, if you're in the Bibles, flip back to chapter 8. We're going to look back. If you remember the story Matt taught on this, that the people request a king in chapter 8. Uh, we're around verse 12-ish. Um, they request a king. As they hear, as Samuel hears the request, he's concerned. Because he knows who the true king is. So he takes his, the request to the Lord. And the Lord says, give the people what they want. Listen to them. But that before you listen to them, before you give them a king, inform them of the customary rights. So here we are in chapter 8, verse 12. Through 19, I want us to just consider the, the customary rights of the king that will be appointed over them, that they were warned um, against the, the blameless character that we just saw in, in Samuel. So in verse 12, it says that this king will take your sons. In verse 13, it says uh, he can take your daughters. 14, he can take your best uh, fields, vineyards, or orchards. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards. He can take your male servants. He can take your female servants. And he can take a tenth of your flocks. And we skip down to 19. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Samuel was trying to knock off the ancient rose-colored glasses off of their face. This king that was described in, in chapter 8 is not what you want, I promise you. And he's trying to hold up his character and say, Look, this is, this is the, the anointed, I'm the Lord's anointed, I've been, I've been over you, the Lord's been faithful, and I have not taken anything from you. I haven't mistreated you at all, I haven't taken any bribes. My character is blameless. I think this can going to be some good application for us today. As we look at Samuel, there's not a lot of great uh, leadership traits that we're going to see in the, in the next chapters unfolding with Saul. So we're going to take a lot of opportunities to see what is good character traits that we can have from Samuel today. So first, the application for us. I think a blameless reputation is admirable in our day. We see in the news, we see in our circles, the Christian circles, leaders are falling left and right. They're not blameless. They've mistreated their congregations. They've mistreated the people under them. And we need to make sure that we are a people who are blameless in our character. So what can people say, what do people say about you in, uh, in your workplace? Are they cons- or do they consider you blameless in your workplace or in your schools? What about us as a church? When people drive by our church, do they see us as a community that love each other and are committed to one another? and the committed to the people around us. Now, I'm happy to report that in our meetings in, uh, in the conference room down there, where we're talking with staff, or talking with the elders, there are multiple times in the church where we are, are excited and thankful for you. And we say this, hey, this person, they walk in the room and they make the place better. So thanks for doing that. Continue to make the places where you are better not for the sake of your character, but for the sake of this. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 2. But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are a fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You have the ability through your character to be a uh, a blessing, a fragrant aroma of Christ. So, uh, how are you smelling? What's your aroma like as you sit here on Sunday morning? Maybe a good uh, conversation for small group. Uh, just uh, h- hey, how how is the group smelling? Not literally, they, you know. Hopefully, you smell fine, but in in a, in a spiritual sense, how how are you smelling? Is the aroma of Christ coming off of you? That's what we want to. That's what we want to uh, shoot for. All right, so we're going we're gonna to lead on to the next. Israel stands in the courtroom, and the second piece of evidence is laid in front of them, and it's the blameless Yahweh, the blameless God. And this is from the portion that Tom read for us this morning. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm kind of going to just recap it a little bit. Basically, he's calling us to remember what Christ has done in the past, right? This is what Israel's leaders do all the time. They always point the people back, and a lot of times they're pointing them back to the Exodus. Look what God did for the people. It was amazing. Stop running after the worthless things and look back at what God has done. He's faithful. One thing that comes, a couple things that come to mind is Moses, after they crossed the Red Sea, God says, hey Moses, write this song for the people so they can, be, so they can remember what God has done for them. So Moses writes this song. That he, he, he celebrates God. The one who has delivered them from Egypt. That he has delivered them on dry ground. Through the Red Sea. And he has let the waters crash over the Egyptians. In their army. Or Pharaoh in his army. Remembering what God has done. Joshua does this before he leaves. In his final address. As the, as the nation time and time forget their God. He is determined. We see this word a lot today. He is determined to provide for them. He provides them through the Exodus with Moses and Aaron. He also provides to to them through the judges. We talked about um, Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel himself. God, the one who is orchestrating all things, is setting up good leaders for the people. But they keep forgetting. They keep sinning. They sin again, and they cry out to God, Lord, save us, deliver us, and God provides yet another Savior but they forget. And Samuel recognizes it, and he wants the people to recognize the blameless character of God, because they have once again forgotten about his deliverance. Now in reality, we can look at this story, and we can say, wow, the Israelites are such a forgetful people. How could they do that? How could they not see God's hand in their lives? But we are very similar to them. We are a forgetful people. And it's one of the reasons that we come here and we do what we're doing this morning. We uh, put our minds on the Word of God. We sing songs that are, that are scripturally, that are based out of Scripture. We preach sermons that are Christ-centered. We don't point back to the Exodus as much as we point back to the cross. To Jesus who has delivered us from sin. And it's even in the reason in our, in our worship guide. If You guys have grabbed one of the worship guides. The first question in the study, in the study part is it's the section called Looking Up. If you look at it, it says one of the first questions that we look at in small group is what have you seen God, sorry, how have you seen God's faithfulness over the last week? The next question is, what do you have to be thankful for? These aren't just filler questions to get the ball rolling in group to get discussion going. This is the discipline that we want us to to grow in as a church, to be able to look and see God's faithfulness because we are a people who forget. If we never look up If we never look back, we will only look forward and continue our forgetful um, forward momentum. If we never look up, if we never look back, we will continue churning. That's what we do. We just keep rolling. We try to keep our head afloat to the next thing, to the next thing. This is what Israel was doing. They were looking, they were covering the nations. They were the next thing, the next thing, forgetting what God had done for them in the past. Let's be a people that remember, intentionally, not just on Sundays, but in conversations after, after the service, at lunch, in small group, in casual conversations. Let's be a people who talk about what God is doing and how He's faithful. All right, we're going to continue I'm honing in on this blameless nature of the king in verse 11. Verse 11 says, He rescued you from the power of the enemy around you, um, and you live securely, is what God had, did, had done. And when you saw Nash, king of the Ammonites, was coming against you, you said to me, no, we must have a king rule over, reign over us, even though the Lord is your king. This is the first kind of punch that he comes out and says it. Even though the Lord is your king, you still want a king in front of you. He says it right out. He has cleansed himself. He's, hey, I'm a, I'm a blameless leader. I can say these hard things to you. You're running after other things where God has been your king the whole time. An intentional punch in the gut, a moment in the trial meant to land with heavy force. But we have to remember that Samuel is a good leader. He's not doing this out of spite, but he's doing this out of love for the people. He is a he's a balanced leader. Got a lot of B's this morning. He's a balanced leader. It's not on the screen, but you can write it down. He's heavy handed when he needs to be heavy handed. But he's gentle when he needs to be gentle. You know? It's the idea of of the shepherd, a leader, a good leader. He needs to bring the force when he needs to bring the force. But he needs to be gentle when he needs to be gentle, gentle. Verse 13, we're seeing this. He has just confronted the people. But then we see his caring concern. Verse 13. Now here is the king you've chosen. Verse 13. The one you requested. Look, this is the king the Lord has placed over you. If you fear the Lord... Worship and obey him. And if you do not rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and the king who reigns over you will will follow the Lord your God. 15. However, if you disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, the Lord's hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. A confrontation met with a wisdom, uh, words of wisdom and warning to fear Worship and obey. So this this fear, worship, and obey is actually seen uh, twice in the story. Okay, so we're in verse fourteen, but also in verse twenty-four. So any time that something is mentioned twice, especially in the same chapter, we gotta we gotta spend some time here. Fear, worship, and obey. What what is what are we meaning by this? And what I want to what I want to suggest this is a good progression for us to understand. We need to start with the fear of the Lord. Another way of saying it, a correct understanding of who he is, a correct lens to see him through, the fear of the Lord, which will lead to worship of him, ascribing worth to him, serving him, which will lead to obedience. So fear leading into worship, leading into obedience. This is this the, this the um, formula. Let me, let me hone on a little bit on, on the word fear. We see the word fear a lot in the Bible. You're probably um, thinking Proverbs 9:10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes, the beginning. We have to start here, the beginning of wisdom. So, what does it mean to fear the Lord? This is my, I've got two different aspects here: one is that of reverence and awe. Julie and I were able to take a a trip to uh, California. Uh, I don't know how long this was. Ellie went with us, but she was in in Julie's belly, so however long that was. Um, But we did a road trip around, and we went to Yosemite, and we drove down into the valley. If you've been there, it is incredible. And you're looking up at this mountain, mountains around you, and you're watching this water just cascade off the top and you're wondering to yourself, is this place even real? Like, are we, are we seriously here? Because it's just so otherworldly, it seems. And this feeling of wonder and awe comes over you. And you can do nothing but look and, and not say anything other than, wow. And this is amazing. I think we said, wow, like a thousand times when we were in the, in the valley. In the same way, when we view God in the correct perspective, He releases in us... Uh, Awe and a wonder if we see him correctly. Right? Next is the the other portion, we have this reverence and awe, but we also have the idea of this this potential for destruction. God is a holy God. And I'm thinking back in the story of, of Exodus at Mount Sinai. When the Lord, the Lord has called the people out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea and they come to Mount Sinai and the Lord says, I'm gonna establish my people. I'm gonna give you the law. And he descends on the mountain and the thunder and the cloud and it says when the people saw it, the camp, the camp of Israelites shuddered and trembled. They saw the Lord on the mountain and their response was shuddering and trembling. Fear of the Lord, all inspiring, but also realizing, man, this this could be, go really bad for us. I think it's it's good for us to fear the Lord. It's the beginning of how we need to think of Him. But as a power of application for us today, a lot of times we don't fear Him because we're not looking at Him correctly. How are we viewing the Lord? Another thing is, what are we fearing above the Lord? What are the things that we have our minds set on? What are you fearing in your life that is blinding you from seeing the fear of the true God? Just like the Israelites were blinded to their to their desire for a king, what are you fearing in your life that is blinding you to the true God? Another way of saying this is it came up in Men's Equip um, a few weeks ago. I'm not sure who said it. But what's the first thing you think about in the morning when you wake up? And what's the last thing you think about before you go to sleep at night? That's probably the thing you're fearing. You're spending all your time and attention thinking of this thing, and it colors the way you see life. It could be different things. It could be finances. This awe and wonder of trying to get so much, but also this crippling fear of what could happen if it goes away. This feeling of anxiety in your life. Maybe the, the, the pursuit of education maybe they're the reaching for retirement this thing you're thinking about you're striving for maybe being well thought of it 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 colors everything you do being well thought of by others maybe it's uh, the job that you just can't leave at the workplace and you bring it home day after day what is it in our life that we're that we're fearing that we're, that we're revering, that we're allowing to have our lives tremble at, this is what produces fruit in our lives. And if we if we need if we say that we're not fearing the Lord, I think the practical wisdom for us is to let's look at his word. Psalm one, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but he but he, he lets the word of Christ dwell richly inside of him. He meditates, it on, meditates on it day and night. And he's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit of righteousness. But the wicked are not so. It's like chaff the wind drives away, right? Also in, in Psalm 19, it talks about, it holds up this word, the word of God, and what it can do for us. It talks about, it can make the wise, it can make it the simple wise, it can enlighten our eyes to understanding. And also it can, it can rejoice our heart. Church, let's continue to look back to the scriptures. Let's continue to set our eyes on Christ. To fear him reverence and all. With reverence and all but also realize the holiness that he is. Alright, so we're going to jump back into the story. We've seen a blameless reputation from Samuel. We've seen the blameless nature of God. And we're going to continue on with this understanding of the blameless nature of God as God brings rain in the harvest time. Now, Samuel is this the next layer of the presentation, the next part of the courtroom dialogue. He's putting this Natural phenomenon before the people. Look who God is. Look what he can do. And he asked God to bring rain in the harvest time. Now rain during the harvest time you might think is not a, not a big deal. I mean it, it rains all the time. But not in ancient Palestine. For it to rain during harvest month was, was, was not a thing. It would be basically the equivalent of us getting a snow blizzard in the middle of July in Greenville, South Carolina. It's just, it's just not going to happen. But if it did happen, people would probably say that was an act of God. So this is, this is the kind of what's going on here. So, Samuel calls to the Lord to bring rain. The Lord rains it is an act of God. And the people start to see, the people start to turn their eyes off of themselves and see the Lord for who he is. And as they see the Lord for who he is, this is what it says in chapter in Verse 18. Samuel called to the Lord and on that day the Lord sent thunder and rain and as a result all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. The people see God and better yet they fear God. They have convicted themselves in the courtroom and we move on to the next layer They see that they are a blasphemous people. Yet again, they have continued to stray from the God who has delivered them. Yet again, they have sinned and rebelled. And yet again, they have seen God for who he truly is. And they see themselves as a blasphemous people. The 19, they say, they pleaded with Samuel, pray to God, sorry, pray to the Lord for your your God, for your servant, so your servants will not die. Let me read that again. They prayed with Samuel, Pray to the Lord, your God, for your servants, so we won't die. They're clearly convicted of their sin. For we have added to our sin the evil of requesting a king for ourselves. In Samuel's farewell address, in Samuel's courtroom appearance, the people convict themselves of their sinfulness. And there's no way out. They plead yet again, Samuel, pray for us so we do not die. This correct fear of the Lord but Samuel gives an unexpected response. God, through Samuel, gives the people a beautiful promise in the verses that finish out the chapter 20 through 25. Let me read this for us. Samuel replied, Do not be afraid. You might have heard that in the Bible somewhere else. Even though you have committed all this evil, do not turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away to follow worthless things you cannot, that cannot profit or rescue you. They are worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. As for me, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord and cease to pray for you. I will teach you the good and right way. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him. Here it is again. Worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. However, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. God would have been justified of killing them on the spot, right? Samuel would have been justified to wash his hands of the whole situation and step away and both God and Samuel did not abandon their people. We see a covenant-keeping God who despite the people's rejection of him, this sound familiar, will continue to make the people and establish them among the nations. But the story, as it continues to unfold, as we continue to work our way through Samuel and as you know your Bible, the people will yet again fail. The kings of earth will not be able to save them. They will be led into captivity, but the Lord has said he has determined to make them his people he determine, has determined to help them realize that there is another king coming, right? This king will descend from heaven and he will not take like the earthly kings took from the people and how, he, and how Samuel warmed against them in chapter 8, but he will give his life for ransom for many. God will send them a blameless savior. This is Jesus Christ. The author of the story. He has determined to make them his people. But this will not happen through the the kings of Israel. It will happen through him, through Christ. So this morning, as application for us, both for for those who are seeking the Lord and those who are the Lord's. This morning, if you find yourself able to um, relate with the people of Israel, if you find yourself in your heart, Convicted of sin yet again. Though you might, through brute force, try to make your situation better, it always seems like sin's pulling you back in. Like a rubber band to the wrist, it always snaps back, right? You may have tried to run from God. You may have tried to cover your sins by chasing relationships, substances, your own morality, or bur- burying yourself in the work, in your own work. But these things cannot cover your sin or preoccupy you long enough. You'll always be snapped back to reality. The bad news is that you will never fully be able to fight sin. We are never never able fully to fight sin. Even if we are determined to do so. The God of the universe has high states for us. High standards for us. And he demands perfection. He demands blamelessness. But we, like Israel, are unable to be perfect. And we stand condemned in the courtroom today. But the good news is this. If you, if that seems like you, the good news is this. That God has made a way to cleanse you of sin because he has determined to make you his own people. He has determined to make you his own people. And he has sent his blameless son, the Savior Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world. Jesus lived the perfect life that we can never live. He was the blameless savior who took the consequence in the courtroom for our sin, died on the cross for our past, present, and future sins, and rose again from the grave declaring his life. And in him we can have, and in him you can have freedom and joy. Romans 10.9 has a really simple way of us seeing this. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Turn to the Lord, repent of your sin like Israel saw him and feared him, and the Lord will save you. And he will take care of your sin. He will remove your sin. And And when God looks at you, he will not see a sinful person, but he will see the righteousness of God in your place. This is the good news of the gospel. What we've been singing about That's how God has determined to make you his people. Now, for believers in the room, Christ has taken your place. He has died for you. Continue to remember and rejoice in that fact. You sit in the courtroom, not condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But let's take the example of Samuel, who was persistent in prayer this leader who doesn't wash his hands of the people and doesn't, and doesn't run away from the people because of their stiff neckness, but he stays with them. He says, I will not sin against the Lord. I will continue to pray and I will continue to teach and guide you. There may be people in your life that you have been praying for for a very long time. Neighbors, friends, family members who don't know the good news of the gospel. Take it, take the note from Samuel. Continue to be persistent in prayer. The Lord is faithful. He has determined to make us his people. So this morning as I close, I'm going to read for us um, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Let's let this this sit on us, this prayer of Paul, who doesn't cease to pray for the people, the churches. That's what he says. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk in a worthy man, uh, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Be strengthened with all power according to His gracious might, so that so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance and the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His Son, whom He loves. In Him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Church, let's take a moment. I'm going to take about two minutes here just to sit. Hopefully let the word of Christ fall on good soil in our lives. Allow it to take root. Take time to to jot some ideas down. And we're just going to take time to be still. As the, the word of the Lord falls on us this morning. God, we pray that we would see you rightly. That we would fear you. And that the fear would turn to worship. And that worship would turn to obedience. And God, we pray that we would be reminded once again of the good news of the gospel. That you have determined to make us your people. And you have done it through the blameless Savior Jesus Christ. And what he has done for us on the cross. God we are thankful to be your people. We are thankful to just in a moment be able to sing and rejoice in the good news of the gospel. God we pray that these words that are your words. That they would fall in our hearts. On good soil. That they would take root. And that they would grow fruit of righteousness. For your name's sake, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.